Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy, and we will get into our year in review as we get prepared to flip the calendar and simultaneously begin the tennis season. I've always thought it's kind of uh, it's kind of neat how, how it works that way. One uh, perk of the calendar, good symmetry, uh, but Rafael Nadal has... Uh, quasi already started his season in the exhibition form. We'll also get to Australia and Novak shortly, but let's start with this uh, Mubadala exhibition. Um, I can't stand exhibition tennis. And the reason is I don't think you can uh, take much from it. I actually like it when it's goofy, when they mic the players up and they really lean into the exhibition. Uh, but I do think that maybe there there were some takeaways, especially because it had been so long since we saw Nadal. Amy, I know that uh, I know that you had an eye on that. And what did you think of it? Upon watching the matches live, he played two matches and he lost to Murray and Shapovalov. And upon watching them live, I thought Rafa looks really good. He's maybe a little rusty, but he's moving well. And, you know, his energy, his uh, shot selection, all that looks really good. Maybe, you know, his timing was a little off or something like that. So I came away from it, like really encouraged. But then I decided to rewatch the matches. And, you know, when you go on TC+, and you get like a different feed. And, and a lot of times the feed starts when they're in the tunnel and they're getting ready. And we've all seen Rafa's pre-match routine that he does in the tunnel where he's jumping around and he's doing his, sometimes he jumps really high in the air and he's doing all his, you know, movements and stuff. And he was going through all that, but I noticed that he was kind of looking down at his feet and he was kind of shifting his feet and those pre-match movements didn't have the same life that they normally have. And maybe that's just because he was being careful and didn't want to injure himself before he even got out on the court, but it just was a little off routine for Nadal. So listening to his comments after the match, he, he, made it sound like the Australian Open was somehow in question. And that has me a little concerned. Well, it's interesting. You have the tea leaf reading, Amy, of the Rafa in the tunnel. And yet months ago, you made a comment about seeing Federer hit a couple balls in practice. And I scoffed at that. But then sure enough, Roger kind of uh, had some, took some time off. So we'll see with Rafa. I mean, it was, it was great to watch him play. I enjoy just watching him in action. And you see even an exhibition, oh, wow, look at that skill. Look who that is. And of course, now it's a little um, precious because we know it's a lot closer to midnight for Nadal and his career. And let's hope he just stays healthy and can thoroughly compete in the Australian Open. I mean, I think of all the times he's exited that tournament pretty banged up. So I hope he 
stays that way. And of course, now we also have the news that um, he has COVID. So that puts a little cramp in his prep, I suppose, does it? it I think it, it depends. I mean, I would imagine it does, just given that uh, regardless of if he has symptoms or not, he's not going to go train. Um, or, or maybe he can try to socially distance train, but I'm assuming, um, that, that it will prevent him from doing some of that preparation. Um, but, uh, in terms of the timing, it, it could be worse. It could have been, um, this week or next week. And obviously the closer you get to Australia, um, the, the worse it is if you get COVID. Um, so hopefully Rafa is not dealing with, with a, with a bad case in terms of the symptoms. I, I did think that uh, he looked a little bit thinner and I know Amy, Amy, you did as well. And yes. I thought that was interesting. I thought he looked thinner in a good way, you know, yeah. very fit. And I couldn't, I, he was wearing all black. So black as we women know is very slimming. So I, I couldn't tell if that was it. Um, but he did look in, in tip top condition just from a, a body standpoint. And um, again, his, his movement, um, the types of shots that he hit, he volleyed quite a bit, um, his overheads, which are, you know, piece de resistance, um, everything looked really good. So it's hard to say. And like you said, Gil, it's not real match competition. So I don't, it's hard for me to take a whole lot from this other than just happiness that he's back out on the court. So he's 35, and that was the age Federer was five years ago, and he had that incredible 2017 Australian. It, it, as, as you're talking about him, I would really enjoy seeing Nadal have a superb Australian Open. That's not necessarily winning it, but just one where he plays through good matches, wins the early matches fairly convincingly, so he has energy left for a late-stage match, and then we're in like the semis, finals, and see what happens. I, I don't want to see him kind of go out in the, the round of 16 to a player I'd like to think he should beat, but we'll see. It, it has been a while and maybe I'm completely missing something and we'll get to this, but I feel like Nadal hasn't suffered a shocking defeat early on in a major in a very long time. I mean, I'm really scratching uh, my straining my memory to, to really think of uh, a recent example. Um, okay. So that's Nadal. Uh, he said in, in his words, by the way, in terms of his symptoms, that he's experiencing some unpleasant moments, but getting better bit by bit. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. And yeah, he did kind of, he did sound noncommittal with his schedule, but again, I don't think that there's much to read into there. And it's usually wise not to read much into exhibition um, in terms of level of play as well. As for Novak Djokovic, I thought by now he would have on his own terms made his... Australia itinerary known to everyone. We, we still don't know. Um, and I, again, I don't know. Uh, I'm wondering, cause I really did. I anticipated that Novak at a certain point was going to almost kind of press release style, let everyone know what the plans were. Maybe that's not what he's going to do. Is he just going to show up and, and then we'll know. <laughs> It'll be, it'll be like when we catch, if we catch a glimpse of him getting off his plane or in a car somewhere, you know, going to the facility, um, you know, it, it's going to be like, 
you know, paparazzi footage. There he is. There he is. Um, you know, my my big thing, and I've been on pretty vocal on Twitter about this, is the the thing with the medical exemption. We don't know anything about that. All we know is what we've been assured by Craig Tiley and Tennis Australia that it's a group of doctors. Tennis Australia, it's blinded. They do not know. The doctors themselves don't know. They are deciding on medical exemptions. And you know what? I believe them. I mean, I'm call me like naive. I, I'm not conspiratorial in any way. Um, so those are the facts before us. And I don't think that doctors would, medical doctors would bend the rules in this way if they're assuring us that this is the process and it's blinded. So um, if he applied for a medical exemption, which we don't know that he did, um, he will be judged on that and they'll make their decision. Um, but the bottom line is Novak wants to keep it private and as much as I would like for him to tell us the deal, he has a right to that privacy. I firmly believe that. So um, we'll know, I guess, in, in a few days when, when um, we see whether he shows up for the ATP Cup. Novak is so, it's so interesting. It's so interesting how straightforward he is inside the lines about how he approaches the game. The discipline, the training, even the playing style. You know, it's very candid, straightforward. And direct. And then things like this, absolutely right. He has the right to his privacy, particularly as an individual. As someone who is, I think, leading a, a fledgling player union and attempting to be a leader statesman, it leaves me a little baffled still how he goes about conducting these things with statements and things like that. And it's, is he, and his acting as private citizen Novak, which he has the right to do. And then, well, okay, so what's the leader? Should What's with the other players and what, where, where is the PTPA in all this and what's going on with that? I mean, I'm just, it just leaves me a little confused about maybe Novak is appropriately compartmentalizing these things. And uh, again, I hope though, I hope amid all of that, I hope he does show up and whatever happens, happens and we get to see him play some great tennis. I mean, that's, you know, when you peel away all the other things around these folks, that's what I want to see. I want to see them playing tennis. I want to have to spend my time contemplating their, their statements and their tweets and their this and their that. I want to see them play tennis. Amen to that. Um, I, I am, again, I'm, I'm actually starting to find the whole thing dragging out mildly amusing um, <laughs> just because I, I just want to know, like, it's like a, almost a WWE professional wrestling play where like I, I do see him, Amy, like on the tarmac in an airport in Melbourne, getting off the plane. Um, it would be a, an entrance unlike any other in the history of tennis. Will he wear, will he wear a belt like has, that has his nine Australian Open? <laughs> that's that's a good idea. Or, or the capes that the, they wear and just fling off the cape. Um, yeah. But, you know, just a few things on this. Um, the players, and, and this has already started to happen, are going to be testing positive for Omicron left and right. I mean, they're going to come in and we're going to have a pretty diminished field because some of these players are going to have to miss the tournament, go into protocol, whatever. And they're going to have to find players that are already in Australia. Um, 
that are not positive. So you're going to have a diminished field. Um, that is an opportunity for Novak. Uh, and, you know, the, the uh, I, I just think that um, Nadal being iffy and, and Federer not being in the field, um, my hope is that he plays, that he's able to play. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, Amy, I do think that it's, it's um, a good point. Uh, if, if global sports is any indication and just the cases in the world, um, the fact is there has not been a tennis tournament ravaged by COVID-19. It hasn't happened yet. We haven't had mass positive tests at a tournament. Um, the NHL had been fine. The NFL had been fine. The NBA had been fine. Nobody's fine right now. You know, everyone's mm -hmm. testing positive and we should be bracing for that um, in, in Melbourne. It's just going to be how it works. Let's push this off to, to next week. But, you know, I have my breath held a little bit with the response of the Australian government and, and what it's going to be. Uh, is everything going to stay the same despite this new development, which is that whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, Omicron is wreaking havoc. So let's see what happens. Yeah, um, they have promised because more than possibly any other country in the world, they have endured this draconian lockdown where they promised the citizens of that country that they would have this summer and they would have this tournament and there wouldn't be restrictions. And the very latest that I've read is that we're gonna let it go. You're gonna be free to walk around. We're not gonna do diminished crowds. Of course that could change, but you know, these people have been through a lot and I have friends and, and um, some family members, extended, extended family members in Australia that have not been able to uh, to move and 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 live life really. So um, I'm hoping that that we get our crowds and that everything is under control. Fortunately, the Omicron is is proving to be milder, and that is that is a fact. Yep, hospitalization rates way down. So so that's nice to to uh, to see. Um, let's move on uh, before we get to the. Uh, the year in review, and we'll go through Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, just kind of talk through their 2021s. Um, today, Joel, the death of Joan Didion, who uh, I understand meant a lot to you growing up as, uh, as a writer. Joan Didion was a um, significant journalist who was very influential on my, on my writing style. Uh, she attended the same college as I did at UC Berkeley, and her work was very present, I mean, 20, year, 20 plus years before me, but her work was very present in the late 70s and early 80s. And uh, the, in a way, though she never wrote about tennis, her presence helped me end up eventually writing about tennis. And the way this happened in an odd way, I was uh, a senior in college writing a, an essay. And I was trying to write an essay for a, a writing class that was juxtaposing, this is very much in the Joan Dean style, juxtaposing the sunny parts of my life and my world in tennis and the dark parts of my life, which is my mentally ill schizophrenic brother. And I wrote this essay and the teacher said, I don't quite get what you're getting at with your brother because at that point I wasn't emotionally in a place to really articulate it. But you know, this tennis stuff is interesting. Why don't you write more about tennis? So I decided, all right, I'm gonna write an essay about my favorite tennis player. 
who happened to be Jimmy Connors. And that essay was the genesis of the book that's sitting right over your left shoulder, Gil, Jimmy Connors Saved My Life, that mm -hmm. I ended up writing 22 years later. And so in its own odd way, um, Joan Didion helped me, uh, writing about her, trying to mimic her, helped me end up writing about tennis. And so that was pretty propulsive and, and meaningful. Yeah, that you can see Jimmy Connors uh, right over my my left shoulder there, and uh, so Joel, that that's awesome. I mean, this book would it exist without her influence? I mean, that's, that's the question. And, and she's very influential on in my style. She um, she's writing about California and Berkeley and LA. So this is the first writer when I was nineteen. I could read a little bit more for style than for content. When you're an undergrad, a lot of the writing is like, what's going on here? Where is this part of England? Where are they writing in the South? Where are these areas? But she was writing about areas that were familiar. So because they're familiar, I could then study her style more. And her style, a great many journalists are attuned to her style. And so they attempted to, to mimic her as she mimicked Ernest Hemingway. And uh, so, so there you have it. So again, uh, I think the only time she ever wrote about tennis was probably in passing with some piece, oh, she had a house. She had a house that had once had a tennis court at it, but I don't think she, I, I could, I'd be surprised if she ever hit a tennis ball. <laughs> so she just looked at the tennis court. I guess <laughs> it had once been there at this house. She lived in Hollywood in this uh, kind of uh, odd part of Hollywood in the late sixties. So kind of interesting, but uh, I'm sure she would have had something to say about tennis because she had something to say about anything she cast her eye on. But uh, anyway, just an interesting influence shaped me eventually writing about tennis. Rest in peace. Nice. All right, let's get to our year in review again. Um, as soon as 2022 begins, so we'll have the tennis season. Uh, so we, we need to get ahead of our, our New Year festivities and uh, do some reflecting. I love New Year's, one of my favorite holidays. I just like Me looking too. back. I absolutely love it. Um, let's start with with Novak. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, who one of the striking things to me about this season is not just that he won a lot and that he was successful this year, 
but that he was the center of attention and that he was driving the narrative of men's tennis throughout the year in the absence of Federer and Nadal. So much is talked about. What does this post big three world look like? And it felt a lot like the big one world in 2021 for a lot of reasons. And that was really important. Um, I, I almost felt like Novak was carrying men's tennis on, on his shoulders from an interest and a narrative point of view. That's a great call. That's a great call. I think he really did. It's strange. I mean, he didn't win as many tournaments this year as he has in the past, but he won those first three tournaments and that was incredible. And of course he lost in the finals of the U S open and that failed to complete the calendar slam. And, but he did because it's still, the year was so um, austere at times, because again, we're still in the pandemic travel is uncertain. How much can you watch? What are fans? What's the fan presence? And you're right. Novak really did. I mean, look, he won those three majors. He beat, he beat rising youngsters who were trying to topple him like uh, uh, Medvedev in Australia and then Tsitsipas in Roland Garros and Berrettini. And he really was, I mean, it's, it's an A plus kind of year. Great, great year. You know, I think back to a year ago and I really caught some flack because I had said that Novak was not my player of the year last year um, because he defaulted from the U.S. Open um, or was defaulted. Um, this year, he's my player of the year. <laughs> Big surprise. Uh, he comported himself through everything brilliantly and he played brilliantly. And my match of the year was the semifinal between him and uh, Rafa at Roland Garros. Yep. That was the only match this year where I felt legit butterflies in my stomach. I mean, I was really... I, I almost couldn't sit still watching the match. And I got up at one point and I yelled to everybody in the house, this is so great. This is living up to <laughs> everything. Um, so, you know, it didn't, it didn't really feel like a, a big one kind of year or there's a new big three. It didn't feel that way to me because Roger did play and Rafa did play. And there was that great match between Novak and Rafa at Roland Garros. But I will say that, Novak had, you know, a year that will go down in history and tennis history. And I know that there's a documentary in the works that looks back at a lot of it. So hopefully that comes to fruition. And, um, you know, he just, uh, despite the fact that he didn't win the U.S. Open, it was an incredibly compelling year. He did have a few moments of less than great behavior in the Olympics. I mean, that wasn't some of his greatest moments of throwing a racket and getting a little uh, angry. So his so many players do that, Joel. I, I mean, well, they, 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 I, I will, I'll take them to test too. I mean, that's fine. Absolutely. But, um, you know, throwing a racket into the stands wasn't one of his uh, greatest uh, moments, you know, right? That happened and uh, right. that wasn't so great. And uh, yeah, and obviously, you know, I think the, the quest for Tokyo was very ambitious and I admire him for doing that for be, not just for going there, attempting to win the tournament, but being there as an Olympic athlete and being around all the other Olympic athletes who so admired him. And you saw, we saw then what a, what a um, influence, what a icon he is to many other athletes. And that was a neat thing for tennis. Mm -hmm. Cause you don't always see that with 
tennis particularly in the US, wow, this tennis guy is really inspiring a lot of other athletes. So I admire that he went to Tokyo, probably based on how he played and even behaved there. He was probably quite worn out. And, I'd, and I don't blame him for that after Paris, after London. I mean, we've spoken for years about what a tough double that is. And then to just a few short weeks later, go to Tokyo and compete in the Olympics. I handed to him for that, but I think he was feeling a little, I was thinking he was feeling a little run down by that. And I, I hope that didn't hurt him for the US Open. I hope it didn't because he's so, he's so fit. So I like to think it didn't. I don't think it did uh, because he took so much time off um, and then kind of, now look, I think it would have actually, you know, I take it back. I think it would have helped him if he didn't need to take that time off, if he could have played Cincinnati, mostly mentally, not physically, not because he needs extra matches. Just uh, I, I thought it was very cumbersome towards the end of the year to play every single match with enormous stakes, uh, which he did. And in terms of the Olympics thing, you know, the way I actually look back at it, you know, now that we're kind of distanced from it is he didn't handle the Zverev loss. Well, the Olympics is, is one of the few events where you have to lose and then you keep going. And he was in the mixed doubles um, and, and he had to play a bronze medal match. And tennis is not a sport that usually asks you to lose and then show up to work the next day and deal with it. And I mean, he just didn't handle the loss. Well, these are ultra, this is, uh, you know, something that he wants really bad. He only gets a chance at it every four years and uh, was definitely also probably run down in a weird environment in the Olympic village and, and all. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's no, no way around it. Just didn't handle it. Yeah. But I think it is unfortunate calendar luck because in another year, he wins the first three majors. He gets to take off a good amount of summer, play a North American adventure two, come to the U S open and kind of get in that place. But in this case, the, the zigging zagging of, taking time off and the, the, the pressure he felt to do well for Serbia at the Olympics, which he does, which he takes very seriously. Um, that was probably part of it too. And uh, that's a little tough, but still a great year. I mean, and, and from a guy who it, it's hard to imagine, he won't be the all-time slam winner soon enough. He's not going to get 21, 22, who knows where it's going to end for him because he's so fit and so prepared. Yeah. And, and, and for Amy to bring up the, the Nadal match, that's a legacy win. It's a real legacy mm -hmm. win that, that was very uh, memorable. In terms of the tennis, and we'll end uh, with Novak on this, um, the serve, fine-tuned, you know, the forehand over the course of the clay court season and in that match against Nadal really stood out to me. Uh, the volleys, we saw him serve volley his way in a, in a Masters 1000 final um, over 20 times uh, and just willingly go to the net. The drop shot usage, which we criticized in 2020, oftentimes became something that really seemed like something he could go to flawlessly for the most part and always pick the right spots. In terms of his development on the court and his game, is there a way to kind of synthesize what this year showed from Novak on the court? I think that I think that it shows that um, he's still in his prime and he's not that much younger than Rafa. So it's really interesting. I, I think he's serving better than he ever has in his career. He's he's always been an all court player. 
um, but he's really refining his volley and his serve and volley. And um, all of his strokes are just in their prime right now. So I know his dad came out and said that he, he may win another couple slams and play for another couple of years and then that'll be good enough. But to me, he seems at his peak and um, I'm looking forward to watching what happens in 2022 with Novak. Yeah, I think it just shows his, his appetite for improvement. And I like the, the, the drop shots get better when you can volley more because now you have different ways to win points in different parts of the court. So you become less dependent on one tactic and the other thing diversifies the other tactic. So it's this kind of exponential broadening the line of attack I mean, geez, okay, what's, what's next? It's going to be called the, um, the, uh, the Sabdi, the sneak attack by Djokovic, or the, Sa the Sabin sneak attack by Novak. And he's going to, and just the enhancements to the game that are so impressive. I mean, it'll be interesting to, to study, to do some YouTube study of him each of the last five years, back over the 15 years to see how he's emerged, the improvement of the forehand and the serve and all these things. It's just, it's just great from these great foundational building blocks and to see and how he's raising the bar and he's going to say to these guys, these Berrettinis and Medvedes, okay, what have you got? Really? Really? Danielle, you think you can do that again? Let's see. And I'm really excited to see him keep competing and wanting to show these contenders, no, no, you're not there yet. Or I dare you, go ahead. You better bring some real good A-plus game to topple me. The racket skills for me, this just kind of this year cemented for me that it's the best they have ever been. And and I argue with anyone who who tries to tell me that his athleticism hasn't declined or he's just as physical as he was in 2011 through 2015. I think there's major evidence um, that suggests that he's not as physical, but the the racket skills and the the completeness of his game, I thought this season was just such a, a showcase of that and that it's, it's better than ever. Um, let's go to Nadal. I was looking at his career stats right before we went on and I looked at how many matches he played 29. That's the least number of matches he's played since 2003. And that surprised me because I, I always obviously looked at this year as a, a year where Rafa struggled with his health. No doubt about that. But I figured, you know, in a career where there's been plenty of injuries that there that there would have been seasons in there that were worse uh, just or if not as bad as this one. But no, 2021 was the worst Nadal health year in terms of number of matches he was able to play um, in a really, really long time. You know, it's tough. Australian Open started in February in 2021. He pretty much after after Roland Garros played the played the DC tournament. I mean, pulls the plug on Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. Tough, tough time. So that's why it was good early in the show. We we're talking about how good it was to see him looking pretty healthy and fit and eager. Well, you never doubt his eagerness, but you just hope he can be healthy. But again, uh, this comes down to some of this comes down to technique. And we've been talking about this for years with Adal, and he he defies things. He defies it at a cost. Whereas Novak, Novak, and Roger have both more efficient technique than Rafa keeps them lasting longer. I just think that um, 
we didn't really know the extent of the foot problem. I mean, we know that he struggled with his feet, but I didn't realize that it was like a congenital thing and that this is something that's ebbed and flowed. And it's really amazing that the guy is going to go down as one of the greatest of all time um, with a congenital foot issue. I mean, it's, it's just stunning. Um, so uh, I, I kind of, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but I kind of look at anything that happens with him from here on out as complete icing on the cake. I mean, he um, has given us so much joy over the years. And if there's more to come, great. If um, this is like his last hurrah, that's fine, too. I could push back on that with with this. His win percentage this year was... 83%, which is better than it was in 2020, better than it was in 2015 and in 2016, on par with 2011, which wasn't a fantastic year, better than 2014. Um, you know, it, when when he was out there, and I even think that the injuries were uh, affecting him in, in some of his losses, including in Australia against Tsitsipas, um, you know, it's almost a, a good thing that when Nadal is having these down years as 2021 was, it's not because he's losing. It's just because he can't take the court. Well, that's been right. the case for his career, because again, this is a guy has been a, what a, an elite player for 15 years, a, a super elite player. So yeah, high winning percentage, but far fewer matches yeah. and far fewer matches than usual. I mean, a good half as many matches as a, a player of that level usually plays, right? So he, he was, I'm, I'm thinking back to his year. Um, he had a decent clay season. He beat Tsitsipas, right? In that kind to of- To win epic, Barcelona. Yeah, yep. to win Barcelona. Um, and then things were looking good at Roland Garros, but apparently at Roland Garros is when the feet started to really bother him. So, you know, if, if he injured himself or, or that was when the pain really kicked in um, and he acquitted himself well against Novak, but he wasn't able to, to get it done, that doesn't seem so bad. And then he really didn't play, right, guys, until he, he played in Washington, D.C. Yep. And he played, um, he beat Jack Sock and he lost to Lloyd Harris, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, he wasn't feeling his best there either. So it was really, um, he had a very good few months and he won a tournament and then he was pretty much injured the rest of the year. Well, he, and he wants to point himself to Paris the way Federer has been trying to point himself to London. These, these, this is my shot. And the difference between them and Novak is Novak has four places where he could point himself. Novak is still fit enough and healthy enough. Mm -hmm. He has four places to point himself as he did mm -hmm. all in 2021. And those other guys are a little bit more like, okay, let me, let me manage, let me orchestrate. Let me take a month off here. Let me not do this one. And, and so that means they're just kind of like doing a workaround, you know, they're doing a workaround yeah. around quality of physicality. And that's, that's tough. That's, I'm not saying they're part-time players and they're all-time greats. And of course, I guess we'll soon enough address, address Federer, who's the real wild card of our three. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if we're doing New Year's resolutions for, for Rafa, um, 
obviously stay healthy as the number one, but number two, I think serve better. Uh, it just didn't seem to, he seems to be falling behind, I think in that aspect, uh, especially if you look at what Novak's doing, if you look at, okay, now he, ha- he has to play Medvedev, he has to play Zverev. Um, it, it's just, I feel like he needs a little more help from that shot. And that would be technically my new year's resolution for him. My new year's resolution for Rafa would be to stay away from questions about Novak (laughs) because um, he made the comment about, um, you know, something that was construed as Novak is obsessed and I'm not obsessed. And uh, it it was an un-Rafa like comment because normally he's just so Zen and everything. And he comes out with these bond mots that are, just you know words to live by but this one was not a good one so just you know pass on those and and focus on yourself and come to net more to make things sometimes easier for you just just to do that i don't know how i don't know if it's serving volley i don't know if it's coming approaching it's returning your nadal getting to net is the is the trickiest he's the trickiest one to do of our, of our three even though he's great when he's there, it's just that he doesn't, his technique doesn't get him into the point, into the points at the net quite the way the other two do. But if he does, maybe matches is going to go faster, a little easier on his body. And hopefully that's the case. Cause he is, I, I love, I like seeing him at the net, but just, just a bit, a bit more. And who knows, who knows what the Mark Lopez influence will be. I mean, or is that just a guy he, he, he and Mark Lopez, he adores Mark Lopez and they've won doubles titles together. And I don't know what that's going to mean for their, for him joining the team Rafa. So we'll see. Yeah. For those who, who may have missed that, uh, Carlos Moya isn't going anywhere, but Mark Lopez is being added to the payroll. Um, okay. Roger Federer tried to come back, did come back. I mean, it's not as if he, uh, failed to come back. Uh, just he won matches. He made the yeah. quarters at Wimbledon Gil. Yeah. Is yeah, that not- <laughs> no, well, uh, no, exactly. You got it. You have to stop yourself. Well, let's f- first, let's remember that his comeback wasn't really, uh, at Geneva. It, that was like the real comeback. We had kind of faux comeback, fake comeback in, uh, in Doha. Um, or, or am I, am I getting my D's confused? Doha, Dubai, he lost to Basilashvili. Dubai. Um, Dubai. Okay. There you go. Thank you. Um, lost to Basilashvili. Then he had to take more time off because, because, because uh, the knee wasn't right. Comes back. He has that very controversial Roland Garros wins a couple matches, beats Kopfer, pulls out before playing Berrettini. Um, loses to like Felix, played unbelievable in that match um, in the, the Wimbledon warm up in Halle. And then and then Wimbledon, the loss to Hercotch after making the quarterfinal and the way he lost was jarring. Um, uh, six love in the third set. Man, um, where, where to even kind of start with this? I mean, what did we learn about Roger here in this kind of clearly less than 100% health knee issue ridden comeback? We learned that he's beloved. That's one thing we learned, which we already know, but that people just want to see that guy play a little bit more. But also, wow, he is in one fragile. I mean, there have been the stories we've read about how he describes the rehab. And when someone describes the rehab as that extensive, 
and that doubtful about even playing Wimbledon next year, it, and when they say that, I mean, I think that really leads me to wonder how Rogers 2022 is going to go. I mean, if we said now, will Roger play? We talked about Nadal in 29 matches, 29 matches. You think Federer's going to play 29 matches next year, guys? I mean, I don't like I to- I don't play. know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I have no idea. Right. We have nine matches. So it's kind of like every Roger Federer match is a blessing, the chance to see him play one. I mean, icing, but sprinkles. But uh, I, I just want to, I, I want to throw a follow-up at, at, at you, Joel, the Wimbledon quarterfinal run to me that that's worth, I mean, you know, considering he was clearly not at a hundred percent, he still made the quarterfinals. Um, like, how do you look at that in, in hindsight? Is that like a, whoa, uh, these skills don't really go away. Uh, and Roger, if he, if he, if the knee rehab is as successful as, as you would hope he could be back in the mix or is it kind of uh, this year kind of confirming that we probably never see Roger Federer healthy again? We don't, that might've been, I hope not. I really hope not. That might've been his Jimmy Connors 91 US Open. It might've been, but we oh, don't. You guys are, you guys are, first of all, here's what I learned. Um, I learned what the injury was because we never really knew it was the medial collateral ligament with some, you know, patellar damage or, or whatever. Um, so to me, that was actually positive because it's, it could be worse. Um, we, I, I personally learned to just listen to the player, listen to what he says. Um, if, because he wasn't trying to pull a fast one on anyone, he wasn't being dishonest. Um, he, at every step of the way, he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a little pain or no, I'm not ready to retire yet. I want to try to come back one time. And people were like, oh, he's, he's done. He's over. He's, you know, whatever. No, that's not what he said. If you just listen to what Roger says, He's not lying to you. He's telling you everything that's going on. So I learned a lot from that just to kind of keep things simple and not try to speculate beyond what the, the player is saying. And, um, you know, there were some, some moments like um, I don't think Marin Cilic uh, really enjoys playing Roger Federer. <laughs> you know, I don't think uh, Dominic Kepfer would tell you that it was particularly a, a good day at the office having to play Roger Federer. Nori, um, Nori, I just want to throw out there. He finished 11th in the race. Federer beat yeah. him. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the guy, the forehand, the spot serving, all those hallmarks of his game um, are, are still there. So, you know, what's he going to do? Is he going to play 27 matches? Is he going to play nine matches? I don't know. And he may not know either. So let's just see. I agree with that. I agree. I mean, I wasn't saying when I said that may have been a 91 Jimmy Connors without snowing. I'm not saying he's done. I'm not saying that. I'm saying what to me with that first grass Grass is the idiosyncratic surface that he's the master of. And so that his game works really well and he could still befuddle a great many opponents on that surface. Yeah, I like your, I like your Chilich thing. And he was a little cowed by the whole Roger 
express and the great ways Roger can play. Um, yeah, you're right. We don't know. And we don't know how, how much the rehab is going to take hold and what he can do. And we've seen things with athletes and how they can, you know, there are all, all sorts of new time standards. Um, it's just, uh, it was interesting to see. I mean, for example, I, uh, the Paris exit disturbed me the way he left Roland Garros on his terms that way and to say, okay, I'm not going to play the tournament anymore. Even one. knowing that maybe he was in pain, he was feeling pain at that time. And he thought, oh, well, maybe if I can rest it a little bit and then come back for Wimbledon, you know. Well, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm misremembering. We talked about that. Then we could have, then he could have, he was feeling pain on the court on that cold. I mean, that was a bad evening of tennis and Roland Garros. That was a horrible conditions okay good then defaulted match points then go tom gorman as tom gorman did once i know i know i'm not living at you know, I, I think i think we're nitpicking a little bit of with course. that it's a year review we're allowed to <laughs> yeah yeah we're allowed to it is I'm, I'm not i'm not i'm not um i'm not slapping too hard i'm just a little you know it's like you just see in tennis how in all these sports how the rules works what they called in basketball the jordan rules so these were the the a bit of the federal rules and i just want to let it be noted how he did exit roland garrison you're right and get ready for wimbledon we all knew that everybody knew that and everybody let it be it's all right it's okay roger <laughs> we need you at wimbledon too i i don't know i i think it's uh you know he really did have some people not us i don't think some people believing that he was actually headed back to the wimbledon final for another uh match with with Novak Djokovic um so I almost think it's impressive that that he even uh he even got that far on on short notice but now this becomes the the longer this drags out the more of an experiment it becomes yeah you know, how how little tennis can you play over the course of three years <laughs> and still be okay and, and be 40 up? years old exactly yes. and, and be 40 yes. years old um but but um you know hopefully he's watching a lot of Tampa Bay Buccaneers and and what Brady's doing at the moment and Phil Mickelson, you know, winning the uh, PGA championship at age 50. Well, there you go. That's right. So, there, so it's kind of an interesting thing. It's kind of like the, the, the sports aging paradigm. And with health and fitness and ways that players can take care of themselves. I mean, look, I think maybe five or 12 years from now, we're going to be watching Novak grapple with this too and how you manage it. And I think, and I think even the sports bodies are figuring out, hmm, we do like having these people here. And let's make sure they're allowed to be here and they have chances to play. And whether it's wild cards or different things with rankings, it's fine. It's fine. We want to see Roger Federer play more. And, and I'm sure he's trying to figure out how have I ever stopped? Would I ever stop? Or do I just do it? I'm, and it does, it does. And still, as I've said before, it cracks me up when people bring up retirement or press conferences as if Federer's going to say, yeah, I hadn't thought about that until you asked me. <laughs> Come to think of it. Yeah, this, that was my last match. I mean, we know that when Federer decides that he wants to end it, he will, have clar he will have thought it out quite well, whether it's Basel, whether it's Wimbledon, whatever it is, he's going to be aware of it. And in the meantime, we'll enjoy him. Was that range five to 12 years, Joel? Yes, I said five to 12 <laughs> years. Oh, boy. Yeah, Novak's going to be 46. And yeah, based on how he, yeah. But, hey, what, how old is Tom Brady now? 43? Yeah, I think that's right. That's the American football player for the international audience that watches. Yeah. He's 
Right. Um, and then, you know, I, I feel like Tony Reale, um, at the, uh, on, on PTI, Amy, you said earlier that, uh, last year in 2020, Novak wasn't your player of the year. I just want to, can, can we refresh? Was it team? Yeah. No, it was Rafa. Oh, it was Rafa. Okay. It was, it was actually a, a tough question in 2020. You yeah. had the three majors split one, one, one. Um, so it was actually a, a debate and this year, not so much a debate, um, just to, to bow tie Roger Federer, you know, the one thing that I was encouraged with in terms of the aftermath, besides the fact that he played decent, decently well, um, when he was on the court, um, relatively, I guess, you know, it depends where you put the bar, uh, you know, clearly he hasn't tried everything and medically there are, there were more things for him to attempt. Um, he explicitly didn't say, you know, I'm having the same operation again. No, it was okay. We're going to do something else now and see if it works. And, and that is what uh, is most positive in my eyes heading into 2022. So new year's resolution is for uh, the medical community to, uh, to come through big time for Roger. Yeah. And uh, you know, I've had friends, I have tons of friends that have had medial collateral injuries and most of them have not had surgery because it's one of those weird things that actually can heal itself. And sometimes they'll go in there and they'll scope it and they'll just clean it up, but they're not, you know, fixing the ligament. Um, and that may have been, you know, what Roger was trying to do, but then he went in and he, he got the big one and, uh, he was on crutches and all that. So fingers crossed. Come on, Roger. <laughs> I want my news resolution. I want, uh, since you're so good at scouting this, Amy, that first Roger tweet, you know, it's like groundhog. It's like the, the groundhog day when the, right. I want you to get the capture the first Roger tweet of him hitting well, a tennis ball. I, it's not hard. Okay. On Twitter, I have uh, Roger Novak and Rafa all Twitter will notify me when they tweet. So I actually get a buzz. <laughs> you Novak are. Djokovic has tweeted. Yes. In the middle of the night. Yes. yes. <laughs> in the morning, Eastern time. Yeah. Right. Yes. I don't learn. Well, <laughs> My New Year's resolution is to be as uh, organized on social media as Amy. That'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that feature coming to Spotify soon, by the way. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to leave a comment, a like, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.